Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School Professor Jessica Levinson. And today I am honored to say that we are joined by Congresswoman Norma Torres. Congresswoman Torres represents California's 35th Congressional District. She previously served as a state senator, a member of the state assembly, a mayor and council member in the city of Pomona, and a former 911 dispatcher. Congresswoman Torres currently serves on the House Appropriations Committee, which is responsible for appropriating all federal spending, domestic and abroad, and on the House Rules Committee, where she helps determine the consideration of all legislation on the House floor. Welcome, Congresswoman Torres. Thank you for passing judgment with us. Thank you for inviting me to your show, Jessica. It's great to be with you today. Well, I want to start with um, the insurrection, and I want to start with your experience that day. I saw that you said, in my view correctly, you said this is an attack on our democracy, on a peaceful transfer of power, on our constitution, and on our rule of law. And I know you were one of the 12 people that was actually trapped in the House gallery. And I've seen the videos of you, and I've seen the videos of you explaining that you had a, I think it was 27 second phone call with your son saying, I'm okay, but I'm running for my life. And I actually think it is important for people to know what it was like for members of Congress on that day. And I'm hoping you can start from the beginning and tell us a little bit about your personal experience that day. Yeah, thank you um, for that opportunity. I think it's important for um, Americans to really... um, you know, think about this and, and hear our story. It, it is, it is, uh, you know, what happened on that day um, is a human story. Um, I, I think oftentimes people look at us as, you know, those politicians and, it, you know, it, it's this um, idea of, of what our lives um, entail. And, and that day, um, you know, it started like a beautiful day. I, I had three or four press interviews, and I was really excited about um, attending. You know, this ceremony, uh, finalizing the election, uh, the certification of, of of the election of Joe Biden and and uh, Kamala uh, Harris. So, being on the balcony, <clears throat> I arrived there about twelve forty five p.m. for. Um, the first hour of of the ceremony, which we thought was going to take about you know eight hours or so, um, because of of the number of oppositions that we had um, from from our colleagues on the Republican side. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I began to receive these alerts um, on my on my cell phone. That first it started with the Madison building that it, you know had been breached and and asking people to move um, out of out of that building, and then it moved on to um, the Cannon building. Once once um, the Cannon building um, was breached, I decided um, I needed to go over to where um, the press um, suite is to to try to warn them. Um, about what was the alerts that I was receiving. Um, I walked over there and their door was already locked. Um, So I knocked really hard and I couldn't get them uh, to open the door. So walking back to the balcony where I was, um, 
you know, we, I saw sitting there, I, I saw a, an exchange between one of the sergeant at arms and somebody who was trying to come into the room. I heard a scuffle and I looked up um, and all I saw was um, a, one of the sergeants had been pushed in. He was, you know, struggling to keep his balance and he pushed back really hard. The door slammed, a cell phone dropped to the ground. Um, that's when the rest of my colleagues that were sitting there turned back um, and, and, and a couple of them tried to reach for the cell phone and I, I cautioned them, don't touch it. Um, somebody dropped it, they'll come back for it, don't worry about it. Um, but it's things started to heat up. Um, for me as a 911 dispatcher, I'm always looking at what is next. You know, what is, um, what, how can I, um, figure out what is the next step? What's going to happen next so we can, I can prepare myself. I would have never, ever, um, would have imagined that what would come next would be people that were trying, um, to hurt us. Um, that I would, I would hear a gunshot, uh, being fired, uh, just below where I was. Um, that I would hear tear gas being deployed. Um, that I would have to put on a gas mask. Um, it, these are things that, um, don't happen um, in the United States of America. They do not happen, you know, in at the U.S. Capitol, a historic building, um, the cradle of our democracy um, began to look more and sound more like a war zone. Um, it is important for people to know that um, you know we did not have the type of security that one. Um, might imagine um, exist or should exist in in a building such as the U.S. Capitol. While we did have officers there, I um, I am so disappointed that those officers were sent to work that day wearing Class A uniform. Class A uniform means that they are wearing their Sunday best, you know, their best uniform, shiny shoes and a hat um, because it's their ceremonial um, uh, outfit, right? It's their ceremonial uniform. Um, there were going to be a lot of very important people there at the Capitol. The vice president was coming to um, to the floor. So they, you know, everybody should look their best. Um when I think about that, um, and I, you know, my son is a police officer, and I think about the failures of, you know, the security leadership that day, um, that officers were injured so badly. One, you know, was killed um, as a result, and two committed suicide after the fact. Um, number one, they should have never been sent to work in Class A uniform. They should have been sent in riot gear. They should have been prepared. They should have had backup. One of the worst things that a 911 dispatcher could hear over the radio is a call for help from a police officer. And as a former 911 dispatcher, I could, you know, I could hear um, the officers' radios. Um, there was so much traffic. It was very, very difficult to hear what was being said. You know, fast forward to today, I, I, I know now that all of that were calls for help, calls for backup. Um, I hope that 
those 911 tapes are released publicly, I think it's important for people to hear um, what was happening um, to those officers during that time and how they were communicating and how long it took to get them the help that they needed. From, from my own personal experience, um, what came next after those alerts were the doors uh, of the balcony being slammed closed. I mean, it was, you know, one bang after the other after the other, what felt like, uh, you know, 10 minutes, but I know that it was not even a minute. It was the doors being shut, locked. The door that was right above me um, was not closed. And we were yelling at the one officer that was standing there to please close that door because we were hearing a mob. We were hearing the, the shouts. We were hearing glass and, 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 and objects being thrown um, so that we, we knew that the situation was... Um, very, very intense outside of where we were, but we couldn't see. Um, the officer responded by telling us that the door could not be closed, that he did not have the keys to lock the door. Um, so we yelled back for him to barricade it, which he did. He moved furniture in front of it and, and, and barricaded us in. Um, but again, we were there with one officer, one officer, one gun, no riot gear. No helmet, no protection for that officer. Um, we were um, trying to process all of this um, when we heard the announcement that the Capitol had been breached, um, that we should um, lay on the ground, and that we should stay quiet. Um, we did that. I never realized um, that I would ever have to crawl on my hands and knees from one side of um, of the balcony all the way through the other side. That's like a block and a half, a long block and a half um, on your hands and knees uh, trying to stay safe. Um, it was a long 45 minutes of pure hell. Um, of intense um, noise outside, um, and it, it, it was it was so loud in there. It was so scary, um, very very difficult to explain. At one point, the officer said, "We are going to um, leave right now, and I want you guys to get prepared to get up and go. We're going to open up this door." And everybody's going to run out of that door. And he started uh, moving us in that direction. And, and then at one point, the doors opened and he said, run. Um, you know, um, there were a lot of members who had injuries, were recovering from surgeries. Some of our members, you know, were, are in their 70s and they don't move as fast as some of us. Um I stayed behind to try to help everyone and, and, and try to get people moving. Um, I didn't realize that my window, that it was going to be a small window, a small opportunity for me to escape. And I missed that opportunity. I didn't know that the officers would not be able to hold the line um, and that they would have to force to close those doors again. Um, and once again, yell at us to hit the ground. Um, but this time, 
We needed to move in another direction because the mob um, was coming in and um, they were trying to hold them back. Um, that moment, um, many of my colleagues were praying. They were calling their spouses and their family members. I couldn't do that, Jessica. I couldn't do that because I know that if I had called my husband or my kids, that I would break down and I would lose, um, you know, the attention that I needed to have in order to keep myself safe, in order to keep my colleagues safe. Um, I had to remove my gas mask at one point because it was very difficult to hear the directions being given by the officer. Um, we quickly moved to the other side and, and waited um, what you know felt like an eternity um, for them to open up uh, the door. One of the videos that uh, we made public um, shows a female officer giving us direction, telling us that they were um, that there was going to be another opportunity for us to leave, and that we when she told us to run, we needed to run, get up, and go. Um, you can hear in that video. Um, questions from myself and other members. We, we didn't trust at that point uh, the instructions that were being given to us because, you know, they told us to run before and time ran out um, and we didn't want to run into danger. Um, we knew danger was right outside the door and it, we wanted to know where are we going to run to and who's on the other side. Um, she said, don't worry, we, we're, we're going to go. And then all of a sudden she said, go, and nobody moved. Um, and then she kept saying, go. And then finally she very forcefully said, get up and go. And, and, and so we all started running out. Um, when we came out into the hall, um, out right outside of the balcony, there was a group of, uh, of men that were running towards us. Um, some of the members started screaming. We had no idea who they were. We thought it was the mob that was trying to hurt us that were, you know, coming um, towards us. Um, the 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 officer. They were officers, and they they at that point they realized that we were very scared of them. Um, you know, they told they they shouted back at us and they said, "We are your security. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. We are your security. We're here to help you." Um, so they immediately told us run and just, you know, they escorted us and, and, and said to run. Um, and they told us not to worry about the members that needed assistance because they were there to help those members get to a safe place, um, in which we did. So at that point was when I, you know, I just started running down the stairs, down halls. I was trying to record at that point when my phone um, started ringing and I, I looked and it, it's my middle child. Um, and for the parents out there, you know, that middle child syndrome, the one that thinks that you never loved them enough, you never cared enough, um, that's my middle child. And um, I, I have to answer the call whenever he calls. If I don't, he feels like I don't love him. So in the middle of me running for my life, you know, I picked up the phone and I said to him, um, sweetheart, I'm okay. And I am running for my life. I cannot talk to you right now. And I hung up the phone because, again, I needed to keep my composure. 
I needed to fight for my life. I didn't know if I would have to physically fight somebody for it. Um, I needed to make sure that the, that the people around me were safely running in the direction we needed to run. Um, later that day, when I finally talked to him, I, I realized how difficult that conversation was. Not only for him, not only for me, but also for him. As a police officer, you know, his mother just told him that she's running for her life. Um, I'm happy that he had his partner with him, you know, to help him during that moment. But I could just imagine how difficult seeing the images and the videos that were coming out, how difficult that must have been for him. Um, luckily, my husband was busy doing, you know, working and had not turned on the TV uh, my district staff called him and reassured him that I was okay and that I would call him um, when things calmed down, which I very much appreciated. Again, not being, not wanting to talk to him because I needed to keep my composure. Um, running through those stairs and through those halls and getting to the safe room, um, what was supposed to be a safe room, um, was a whole other experience um, arriving there and in being with my colleagues that had called for this violence, um, my colleagues who had promoted, um, you know, the type of hate that the rage that we were hearing um, that was unfolding onto the Capitol um, was a, a very disturbing time. Uh, being there with them shoulder to shoulder, many of them refusing to wear a mask. And we are in the middle of a pandemic that has killed so many people. Um, that was also a surreal time um, for me. One of my Republican colleagues got a hold of a microphone and told everybody to kneel because we were going to pray. And at that moment, I just became so angry and just outraged by someone who has been spreading lies. All of a sudden, you want to pray? I'm sorry. I, I told him to, I told him to shut the F up. Um, and... Someone else grabbed the, the microphone and, and, and some of you know my colleagues then began to pray and I, I, I bowed my head and, and, and prayed myself. But I could not believe that a person who had been promoting um, you know these lies that led to the insurrection would ask us to all of a sudden pray for our lives. Um, you know, we waited, Jessica, we waited there four or five hours, like four and a half hours for backup to arrive. Imagine that officers are being attacked with pipes, with the American flag, with fire extinguishers. Outside, they're being beaten with whatever weapons these the mob brought with them. And they had to wait that long for backup to arrive. During the, that period of time, we had two announcements, um, and both announcements were made that they were still waiting for backup to arrive, 
and that we needed to stay in place um, because it was the only safe place for us to be. At some point um, during that time, they ended up clearing um, the U.S. Capitol and we were able to return um, and finish um, you know, voting that day. Um, our group of 12 members decided to stay together and to walk together to the floor. I think it was important for us to show America that this, this election happened. It had a, those votes had been certified by each of our states and that we were there to do a job and we were going to complete that job. And we did that. Um, after being on the floor for about an hour and continuing with the debate, um, I decided I was going to walk back to my office. Many of the members walked back to their offices. Um, but then again, you know, that was more trauma. Walking through the halls, walking through that. Um, one of the halls was a hall that I had just been running for my life. Um, I, was, I had just been running through that, you know, five hours, six hours before that, um, getting to my office and trying to um, get the courage to open up my door, um, opening up my door and immediately running for my bat. I have a softball bat that has signatures of uh, U.S. senators and, and, and members of Congress. Um, we play softball um, against the press. You know, we have this one game a year to raise money for cancer awareness. And that was the bat that I grabbed to clear three rooms in my office to make sure that nobody was hiding here, that nobody was going to hurt me here, and that I was safe. I shouldn't have had to do that. Security should have escorted us back. There should have been officers in the halls. Somebody should have said to me or to all of us that it was safe for us to go back into our offices and their offices had been cleared, but none of that happened. We had to do that on our own. Um, you know, the, this, this whole experience was so traumatic. Um, I didn't realize that I had hurt uh, my eye. Um, Following, you know, this incident, um, I had had some eye irritation. Um, I thought it was, you know, just allergies. I finally went to the doctor yesterday and I, I scratched my cornea. I realized that it was probably when, you know, I was putting on that gas mask and, and it was probably when I tore off um, uh, the mask because I couldn't, I couldn't breathe and I couldn't hear um, the directions that were being given to us by the officer. So there, there's a lot of consequences, you know, from what happened that day. A lot of consequences of a president of the United States who stepped on a, on, on a stage with um, TV cameras in front of thousands of people and told them, march to the Capitol and fight. And that is exactly what they did. They marched to the Capitol. They wanted to hang the vice president. They wanted to kill Pelosi. 
and they wanted to hurt us. We need justice. Five people died, including a police officer. You know, these officers have continued to work 12-hour shifts. They are not mentally in good shape. They need a day off. They need counseling. All of us uh, need to heal from this. But yet, the the call for misinformation, um, you know, it, it continues. Uh, today, you know, we're voting um, to remove a member of Congress from committees that she has been assigned to, um, doing the work of that the Republican Conference Committee should be doing. I don't understand, you know, what is happening here. Congresswoman Torres, I mean, I I really thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad that you're safe. And I have to say personally, that was, it was, that was hard to hear. I mean, I never imagined that I would hear a member of Congress say I had to crawl on my hands and knees. I had to remove my gas mask to hear directions. I mean, let's all just pause for a moment and think about this happening in the people's house. I mean, this is the Capitol. This is our place where our representatives are supposed to do our work. And, you know, I, I was going to ask you a little bit about how we got here, but I do want to focus on one of the last things you just said. You said we need justice. And I want to ask you about what you think is appropriate accountability. Uh, I wrote here, you know, you talked about the fact that some of your colleagues had called for this violence. What can we do about your colleagues who have either implicitly or directly supported the insurrection? What is the appropriate remedy here? Number one, I think their constituents um, should be aware and, and, and should do everything in their power to to get real information and the truth about what happened that day. Watch those videos. Imagine yourself or your loved one in that position. Um, Look at the human side, not just the political side, but look at the human side, Um, the blood that was shed in the people's house. They caused that with lies. Congresswoman, it's just so hard to hear your story. And I just, on a human level, I feel, I feel scared and I feel scared for you and the idea of you walking through your office in the nation's capital with a baseball bat to ensure your safety. Um, I've spoken to a few other members of Congress and asked them about this. Are you scared to go to work? Absolutely. This morning, as an example, at 1038, I received a um, an alert, and it, it said, you know, at the Adams Building, all personnel relocate to the Madison Building due to police activity. All personnel must relocate from the Adams Building to the Madison Building through the underground tunnels. Do not evacuate outside of the building. Um, when I saw that alert come on, you know, as a text, I panicked and I immediately, you know, grabbed my my bulletproof vest, you know, that I bought. Um, and I started talking. I have one staffer now 
here in my office and, and we walked through and said, okay, what is our plan? Um, how do we barricade ourselves here? Um, you know, we, we need to have a plan. We need to be prepared, you know, hope for the best, but we have to be prepared for the worst. I should not fear, you know, voting on an issue that is important to my district because somebody is carrying a handgun and may not like the way I voted and, you know, is angry enough to want to hurt me. It's, yeah, I mean, as I said, it it feels like a mind-bogglingly unrecognizable country. And when I heard um, Speaker Pelosi say, my young staffers knew what to do because they've been in active shooter drills in school for their whole lives. Yeah. I mean, that really is just such a, it's such a, a gut punch. And, um, and, and I wish that on a personal level, I wish I could tell you, oh, I don't think you should worry, or I don't think that these fears are rational, but I don't think that that would be honest. And I am always trying to search for what can we do? So, you know, certainly we can try and remove people from committee membership. I mean, there's censure, there's expulsion, but it seems to me that the deeper problem here is, um, that there are members of Congress who do peddle in lies and falsehoods and uh, refuse to wear masks during a pandemic. And I know everything I'm saying sounds partisan, but none of this has anything to do with my political worldview or my partisan view. I mean, none of this has anything to do with tax policy or <laughs> environmental policy or criminal justice. Um, is, you know, is, is there a... If you could say to either members of Congress or their constituents, here's what you need to understand. I mean, do we need a, a massive public education campaign dealing with disinformation? I'm I'm asking you unfairly broad questions because I'm struggling with unfairly broad questions myself. Yes. Um, and, you know, all of that is, is true. We absolutely need... Um, information in our communities. Um, it, it's it's amazing to me how little people know about how government works. And I think that we have failed miserably at explaining to people, you know, how government is supposed to work and how it's working now. And, and, and how do we envision uh, it working, you know, in the future, in the near and long future? Um, I think it's important for the basic uh, principles of attending a meeting and um, just common courtesy. I think because, you know, we are talking online, you know, through social media, um, that our words, we feel like our words don't have consequences. I, I will point, you know, to that January 6th and say, and say, look, this is the consequence of all of that misinformation. Representative Torres, I think in the most awkward transition in the history of this podcast, I'm going to try and add a little bit of levity to our conversation and ask you uh, the same three questions that I always ask of my, um, of my guests, because um, I would personally just love to learn a little bit more about you this way. And we'll see, again, really hard to transition from everything we've been talking about. 
Um, the first question I always ask is, is there a famous person dead or alive who you would like to invite to a dinner party? Um, I think right now, because of um, the trauma that I've been through, um, I would love, you know, to be able to invite the Pope. Um, I'm a Catholic. Um, I don't go to church very often in these days. Um, as much as I want to go, it's not safe to do that because of COVID. But I would love, you know, to be able to um, hear the Pope. I, he's given me so much inspiration um, by the policies um, that he has moved forward that I would love to to do that. <laughs> Second question, you're going to be stranded on a desert island and you get to bring one meal. I hope this gives you a brain break from everything that you've been thinking about and maybe allows you to think about your favorite food. Tacos, of course. Every day should be Taco Tuesday. <laughs> I, I am also from Southern California. I understand. I understand that. Now, I actually now have a a guess for how you might answer this last question, but you get one superpower for one hour. What is it and why? One superpower would be to go back um, to that January 6th and undo the damage that was done that day. I would also like to see that happen. Congresswoman Torres, I've had a good time chatting with you, but I'm so, so grateful for you for sharing these experiences because I don't think that we should just move on. I think we should talk about what happened and why it happened and then talk about how to move forward while still respecting the severity of what you went through and what others went through that day. So again, thank you, uh, Congresswoman Torres, so much for your time. Thank you, Jessica. It's been great chatting with you. You can find Congresswoman Torres on Twitter at Norma J. Torres. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you for our listeners. For me, this has been our most emotional episode. And again, I'm very grateful to the Congresswoman for sharing these experiences. And I hope we can continue to have these conversations with you. 